1: If you like this show, you're going to love Ben Greenfield Fitness on Podcast One. Tune in to the latest health, fitness, and multi-sport research, non-run-of-the-mill interviews with exercise and medicine professionals, and new cutting-edge content from the top personal trainer and wellness coach in the nation. Download Ben Greenfield Fitness every Wednesday on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. All right, welcome into the PFF podcast, Eric. I'm not actually sure what our show's called anymore, but now that Steve and Mike aren't in the chair, I can name it whatever the hell I like. So welcome into the PFF podcast. I'm here with Dr. Eric Eager, who you may know from the PFF forecast if you're following and listening along with that, and if not, you should get on there right away. Eric, you're in the chair, which means finally Palazzolo baby watch is over. It's over. Steve and Kelly have had their baby. It's done. We no longer have to keep waiting with bated breath and with phones on the table while Steve may run out at any point of the podcast.
2: Yeah, I mean we are we allowed to say the name we're not allowed to say the name, I don't think, right? Probably
1: can't broadcast the name, but we yeah. can at least broadcast, you know, healthy baby boy. boy. All's going well.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not as tall as Steve, I'm not as good looking as Mike, but I think I'll, I'll fill in ad, ad, admirably here.
1: You make up for those things with cunning and guile, though. Right, that's, that's the right. important thing. Eric, we thought football was over, but the AAF happened this week. Football was back. Did Argu- you watch? How arguably, much did you watch?
2: I think I watched an embarrassing amount of those games. <laughs> I watched. I think I watched all but like the last part of all of them, and they were none of them were very compelling except for the. The one uh, was it the uh, San Diego Fleet and the San Antonio yeah uh, team that one was kind of down to the wire. Although the two point conversions really do kind of change the way the complexion of these games are because you know the that game was a nine point game. It still sort of feels close, but then you know oh that that eight's not enough, and right. so it's still a two score game. Um, it really does change the calculus. The Arizona hotshots last night sort of got out ahead of the, the the Salt Lake team by just scoring touchdowns, getting the two-pointers repeatedly. Uh, it really does put a distance between the teams. So I thought it was interesting. Uh, it did highlight a lot of the, the things that you get at the NFL level that you simply can't assume uh, lower levels.
1: High-quality play, like in most positions. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, and the strange thing. So we were talking about this at the office. The, we were talking about earlier this off season, like you know, quarterback play, coverage, receiving are like the most important yeah. variables. And it's always a question as to whether receiving is should be in that category because it's super dependent upon quarterback play. But what we saw this weekend was receive, like just simply the act of catching the ball is something we take for granted at the NFL level that cannot be assumed. I think at the lower levels.
1: Yeah, and and that's I, I think that's what you notice when you go watch the college as well. Mm -hmm. The amount of kind of routine passes that, okay, they may not be in perfect locations, but you expect the receiver to come up with it every single time that are just dropped in college is huge. And there's a massive difference between those guys and NFL receivers. When you see those guys warm up, you know, Odell Beckham before games and he's just plucking passes out of the air, one handed, like it's nothing. Like there is a monster difference between like a regular guy that can catch and an NFL receiver they can catch.
2: Yeah, or one of our favorite players growing up, Chris Carter, would always say, "Like right. I don't catch passes in the offseason. I work on my footwork. I work on my speed because catching the ball is so second nature. Uh, I think what, what was interesting even beyond the college-to-pro uh, connection was you know, with Mike Martz and you know the Dennis Erickson's and all the former NFL coaches, they were really trying to implement a pro-style game. Yeah. And so, in college, oftentimes when you see the you see the bubble screens, you see the sort of the RPO games and stuff, where even among college players, they don't drop as many passes because they're sort of that easier variety. In this game, they were trying to go down the field, and that's where you really did see the separation between a receiver yeah. that can make a contestant catch, a receiver that can make sort of the over-the-shoulder catch. We saw that Patton guy um, for Birmingham. He had a good game numbers-wise. You look at the number of targets he had, the number of drops he had, uh, not as impressive uh, as it looked upon first blush.
1: So I'm kind of excited by this AAF thing, right? One, it does seem like it actually had a lot of traction throughout you know, the general NFL world. The NFL Network has picked it up. They were talking up during broadcast a lot about the kind of the NFL investment in this league, and they were talking in actual defined terms about this being a potential developmental league for offensive lines, for quarterbacks, for guys that just need reps that wouldn't get them on practice squad. So I think that's huge for its potential. PFF is partnered with this league. We are. Grading all of their games. If you have PFF Elite, you'll be able to get the grades for that first week of games. Right now, they're going up as we speak. So there's a ton of interest there. The AAF, the Alliance's Twitter account, grew by 130,000 followers over the weekend. Like, it was 70-something thousand when we left on Friday. This morning, I checked. It was 200-odd.
2: And if you follow them, follow us at at PFF on Twitter. Yeah.
1: Also, PFF underscore AAF. We have an official. Right. PFF. The blue,
2: The symbols blue on that yeah, one. Which AAF is great. Yeah, AAF account. So
1: I do think that this league actually has the chance to to take off and stick in a way you know previous leagues never really did. Um, and the standard of play, I mean, it wasn't NFL, but it wasn't terrible, you know. And they've they've done some smart things. To I think make people overlook where the standard of play is a yep. little bit less. So obviously, I think the single biggest thing was the quarterback play generally across the board, as you would expect, the quarterback play was down, but they're able to hide that a little bit or, or at least distract people with the innovations, this idea of the, what do they call that guy, the sky official yeah, yeah. the sky, the guy in the booth yeah. right which rugby has been doing for years rugby calls it a tmo television match official but it's basically identical it's a guy sitting in a booth with the tv replays who can communicate live with the ref and make sure they get the right call yep. that i mean it, this is it's one of those things where i've been saying it on this podcast actually for years that that's just smart why would you not do that and now that we like the NFL seeing it in action, I yeah. think is going to make them immediately adopt that.
2: Yeah, the, uh, the illegal defense or legal formation, I think, is good intent, has good intentions. The and I five think, man rush there. Yeah, yeah, and I think over the course of the season, we'll see fewer of those penalties. I think the Salt Lake team was basically buoyed by that. They had a couple drives extended, and that was really the only reason they were in the game, I think, going into the second half. I like that because, again, we want we want we want to see linemen get live reps against def, you know yeah. defensive linemen. We want to be able to see who can win blocks consistently. And you know for teams that have only been together for what thirty thirty days or so, yeah, it's days. going to be difficult to sort of like have that cohesion that a team like the Rams' offensive line is going to have. And as you said with the quarterback play, we simply don't want to see the bad quarterbacks get necessarily rocked. I, I messaged uh, our colleague and friend uh, Zach Robinson just the other day to kind of like – I, I said it's like you really do have to be very good to play quarterback in the NFL, don't you? Because you know, Zach would right. you know as a former NFL player himself. But it's just like you look at that. And just the drop off in being a player, like let's say we've we've given Kirk Cousins a lot of flack, but you know <laughs> the difference between somebody like him and you know somebody like Hackenberg playing in this league is probably far bigger than the difference between Kirk Cousins and Tom Brady or yeah. somebody like in, in that in that sphere. So that that stood out. I liked like defensive backs were making big plays. Yeah, and, you know, uh, Stribling was a, a player that who made a a bunch of big plays in one of those games, and 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 you are seeing that athletic mismatch. Some guys who I think you know uh, Jonathan Masquel was one that stood out to me but just guys who are athletic off the edge i think that they'll show out pretty well here and then as we talked about earlier the kickers the kickers were great in this league they it's were. amazing after a a season of like the vikings should take literally every one of these eight kickers and just try them out for you know all of training camp and i think the the best one will uh, be better than what they've had over the last what 30 years
1: yeah what's what's really interesting in this game to me like my takeaway from these games is that like, everyone was kind of running into this. It's like, what is Trent Richardson going to look like? And, you know, what is Hackenberg going to look like? They fixed him. Mechanics are fine. Like, players are, are the same guys. Mm-hmm. They haven't changed. That's it's what's fascinating to me is that, like, if, if a guy was a has an extended li, uh, list of tape showing that he's probably not a good player, he hasn't immediately become a good player because he's playing in the AAF and the standard is worse. Yep. Bad players have remained bad. The ones that are going to surprise, I think, this season are the guys who never got the fair chance to show that they were bad or good because, you know, they may not have the perfect measurables or whatever. But those are the guys that had big games or the guys that we hadn't really seen before or hadn't, you know, had their chance and failed. Those guys really didn't look any different. Like Christian Hackenberg looks the same guy. Mike Bercovici was a player that there's a weird Bercovici-truther sect around, but... (laughs) From his college tape, I did not like him at all coming out. I actually did the best graded game of his career and came out of that game thinking he was terrible. So if if you can think he's bad coming out of his best ever game, I mean, he got benched in the first game here. Trent Richardson managed two scores, but at the point he went in for a second one, he was on like 41 yards on 22 carries. I don't think he looked particularly good either.
2: He had a fumble. uh, Right. Kind of... Brought them back. Uh, brought the other team back in the game. He was. He just. I mean, all the running backs looked. A li- all the running backs looked a little slow. Yeah. All the you know, and and the thing that I think would hurts them is that in the d- other developmental league, ends the NCAA, running games are more spread out. They give you more space to operate. All those kinds of things. In the AF, we saw we saw Mike Martz under center on you know with five wide receivers on third down and long. We saw you know we're still seeing some antiquated. I think. Uh, approaches, concepts sort of thing and so when, when you want what Trent Richards probably wants the most is open space to run in yeah. and what, what they're asking him to do is probably more like what he's going to have to do at the NFL level which is break tackles and get yards after contact and what we saw is while he was good near the stripe, he was good at near the stripe when he was in Cleveland and, and to some degree Indianapolis. It's it's can he consistently get yards after contact? Can he break tackles? Can he um, you know catch the ball in the backfield? And, and there are so questions marked there. Our guy from, you know, Former you know, Minnesota Viking Matt Asiata, he looked exactly like Matt Asiata looks, yeah. and, and it just was in a different level of play. But I
1: think what's fun as well is that this – I think the AAF is going to look a lot like NFL preseason mm-hmm. in terms of the players that are actually – there's like a few different levels of, of caliber in NFL preseason, right? There's the guys that are starters and really shouldn't be playing against second and third strings because they'll just be crazy – There's the guys that are good enough to beat up on second and third string guys but aren't quite at the level of being a quality starter. And then there's guys that just have no business really being on an NFL field and they're padding a roster until, you know, roster cuts. And it's that second level of guy that I think are going to be the stars of the AAF, right? The guys that are too good to be at this level but may not quite be at NFL levels or at least, you know, those are the guys that are going to get pulled back onto NFL rosters for like a second look, you know, and we'll see if they have the quality. But it's those former NFL players you could see jumping off the tape. One of the best graded guys of the weekend was uh, Demontre Moore, yep. defensive lineman, first sack
2: uh, of the of the league, right? Right the for the San
1: Diego game. Fleet. He had nine total pressures, which was three times more than anybody else on that defense. Like he was a constant threat and a, a, a guy that can make a real impact. And again, you know, former NFL player that had some yeah. serious time. Another guy that really jumped out was Will Hill, who's, I would say, probably the most talented player in this league because he's a guy that I think should be a starter in the NFL if he didn't have, you know, little – he liked himself the weed. Yeah, and and, and
2: usually guys can get around that, but sometimes – there, there well, are, once you
1: get once you get like snagged the first time, yeah. then you're just you're in that spiral. Now you're going to get tested more, and now you're in trouble. Yeah. If you can avoid ever testing positive, then you, you've got a chance.
2: So I I spent a fair amount of this last weekend. So I finished Jeffrey Perlman's book on on the X on the uh, USFL. Yeah. I, I, I watched uh, again the documentary out in thirty for thirty on the XFL, and this is going to I think map more towards the latter in that. All of the guys that are in the league are going to be a little bit on the Tommy Maddox trying to rehabilitate himself type of side. Um, the USFL, you know, th- th- comp is interesting, right? Because back in the day, you know, there is a hook, right? Yeah. Back then, college football was god. NFL football was starting to weigh, and all the Super Bowls were thirty point games. All of the the stars in the NFL were not what we considered, you know, they weren't like luminaries. The the This league, the AAF, has a bit of a difficult path in the sense that everybody's paid the same. They can't lure Herschel Walkers out of college. They can't lure Jim Kelly out of bad situations. The NFL does a pretty good job of marketing their stars. So the thing that I think will be interesting, as to your point, AAF's going to have a group of great players for that league. How are they going to elevate these players and make them into something um, that will be the draw? And, and I because it's it's behind the curve in terms of the USFF USFL in that regard because they're simply they could simply take the legitimate yeah. stars out of football. Can they do that? And then. Can they somehow leverage how rabid college football fans can be in places like Texas and places like Alabama, um, and Tennessee, and and build like you know former teams of Tennessee Volunteers, of Alabama Crimson Tide players? And will the players be sort of will the players be content in that role? That I
1: think was one of the smartest things they did when they regionalized the talent mm-hmm. on these rosters. So they had the quarterback draft, but then pretty much everybody else is done by region. So mm-hmm. you have locked in these little pockets of fan bases. Like, some of those crowds look pretty impressive. The San Antonio, they had a ton of people at the the Alamo Dome. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not that easy to do. Um, so I think the other thing, I think that this league is different to, you know, the UFL, say, that kind of crapped out pretty quickly. They, they don't it's have Jermaine Wiggins. That too. But they have, this league has, like, the tacit endorsement of the NFL now. They're, they're on NFL Network. They have everybody talking about this developmental league. Yeah. Like, I think the NFL needs an NFL Europe. They need a developmental league. They just didn't want to pay you for this big international show that was going on. Yep. This has the ability to be the NFL Europe that the league doesn't have at the moment. Get offensive linemen reps, get quarterbacks reps, actually serve as a developmental portal for players that they just don't have yet.
2: Yeah, and we and that's the thing, is like we don't when you get like let's say you're a third string quarterback on an NFL team, you don't get reps with you don't get reps working on a scheme at all during the season. You're basically scout look. Right. You know, you probably don't even get on the field unless a, a disaster happens. But you still need those reps. You need those live bullets. We've seen with a lot of guys – You know, it's rare that a guy like Tyrod Taylor could sit the bench for five years and then come in and be a a good player. It's more often than not, is what you said, we just have the survival bias. The guys that make it are the guys that make it. And the ones that get 10 reps in the preseason, we never see again and we never know whether or not they could be any good. This is a great league for them. Because what I also think will happen... You know, as we start to see the the passing statistics look a lot more like the 80s and 90s, what we're also going to see is a lot more of the 80s and 90s methodology of coaches pulling quarterbacks. And like we've already seen it before, we're going to not only get to see eight guys play a ton, we're going to get to see 16 guys, I think, play uh, a decent amount of football, as we've already seen with uh, San Diego putting Philip Nelson in place of Mike Bercrovici.
1: That's another thing. I love that now these guys, the AAF, has coaches mic'd up. You actually hear them bench (laughs) the quarterback Mike Martz, uh, yeah. after one, you know, run so random good. terrible play, is like, yeah, I'm thinking about making a quarterback change here.
2: Well, we had to wait, we had to wait like a decade before we got to see Mike Tice after Doug Bryan missed two extra points say, I'm bringing in Gary Anderson this week yeah. while the game was going on. We yeah. get to see that in live, right? Now. You get to so see it happen.
1: Like, so, I, you know, PFF is kind of all in on the AF. We, we like the potential of this league. As I said before, if you've got PFF elite. You can dive in. You can get all the PF or the AAF data. We're going to be giving it the full NFL treatment in terms of content, AAF teams of the week. Yep. We've got a whole bunch of fantasy stuff so you know you know what the depth chart should look like yep. because nobody really had any idea going into the games. Now we've got a better idea. We know where the targets are going. We know who is playing. So, yeah, I think this is going to be fun. Um, over the next few weeks, it was usually a bit of a dead time for everybody. Yeah.
2: Um, some, some green line related content. We're not going to give out picks because it's just too hard with right. no data, essentially. Uh, but we'll we'll try to talk about the co- you know them as we did on the forecast uh, last week because people want to bet on these games, and and of course that uh, we're going to uh, accommodate people with some information there.
1: Cool, excellent. So we're going to hit a couple more topics, and then we're going to bounce, Eric. It's a bit of a short, truncated podcast. Um, I got somewhere to be. You have work to do. I'm stealing you away from actual work. So good. With, uh, with Mike and Steve away, we'll just hit a couple more topics. One thing I wanted to hit on today is that uh, Kyler Murray just came out and said he is officially committed to football. Put it out on Twitter. That tweet is going insane. It's already got like 10,000-plus likes, retweets, whatever. Everybody is – well, there it is. There's the news this to me feels a lot more like, you know, late damage control after those terrible, terrible interviews in the Super Bowl week where he just went, no comment, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Like, this is, at the very minimum, this is what you have to say, right? Until, mm-hmm. you know, you can still decide what between football, baseball, whatever. But in order to get far enough down the quarterback process to have any idea if it's going to be bet- the better bet moving forward, you need to tell them all, yeah, I'm 100% in, I'm, I'm here.
2: Yeah, and I think, especially considering he's already got baseball as a bird in the hand in terms of being drafted and all that kind of stuff, like he, the the group of people he has to impress are the football people. Yeah. The situation, I'm sure you guys have talked about it and people have talked about it at length, is his agent is not a football agent, right? Yeah. He's, a, he's a top-tier baseball agent, and things are just different there, right? It's You're slotted in. You're basically under team control in baseball for six years. Who has no
1: interest in him being a successful football player.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, well, and and there's, of course, the obvious thing, which is that people who are experts in one field often dunning Kruger themselves into the other field. And so, like just not knowing kind of like not having that, like I, I put a little less of it on Kyler than I do the, the folks oh, yeah. around him um, because everything we look at from his, for his data, you know, adjust it, you adjust, even adjust for how nice OU was to quarterbacks. It looks great. Right. right. And, 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 you know, his height is an issue, but I don't think his height is such an issue that it overcomes all of the great things that he can do uh, as a quarterback. Um, it's going to be a it's going to be a fascinating draft season because we already saw Mayfield last year was like I think he was mock like 11th at this time last year yeah. got him all the way up to 1. He looks every bit the part. I think that's going to help Murray. But then you have the th- you have the issues where I don't know how to compare him in terms of makeup to to Mayfield, in the sense that Mayfield ruffled feathers with how he acted, but yeah. ultimately everybody sort of down to the Brett Favre picture were like, okay, he's a boss. You know, Murray, so far he's ruffling feathers, but I don't necessarily know if anybody finds it endearing. So then the question is, is, uh, you know, how far does he move up the draft board? It, the thing that Mayfield had going against him that Murray won't is that there are other quarterbacks in his class that were considered top tier. Yeah. After Murray, from our grading perspective, I don't what do you think? I don't I don't see a huge I don't I mean, see a huge competitor there. Yeah,
1: after Murray, it's Haskins and then there's a giant drop, right? And then yeah. it's like Drew Locke, um, the kid from Duke, Daniel Will, Jones. Will Greer. Will Greer. I mean, it's a big drop from Kylo from on the field, it's a huge drop from Kyla Murray to anybody. Yep. And then even amongst the next tier of guys, it, like I would say Haskins is fairly comfortably in a group by himself. And then you're down to like Drew Locke who never played particularly well for us, but at least got better every single yep, year. Sure. Daniel Jones, who just never played particularly well, period, but everyone will love the arm and the fact the, that he was playing at Duke. and they'll blah, excuse, blah, blah.
2: They'll, Much like Allen, they'll excuse the players right. he was playing with at Duke.
1: Um, and then you've got Will Greer, who actually graded really quite well yeah. for us a lot, but has more question marks, I think, in terms of his play and his physicality and the other
2: guys. Here's a question about Haskins, because I... And, in light of the aAF I think that this is important ha- If Haskins comps to a Bradford cousins Dalton, if he comps to that cluster, does the AAF highlight how impressive that actually is
1: yeah i mean the- this is the this was the thing right everybody wants the next everyone wants the next Baker mayfield right a yeah. guy who you know can be a top five quarterback yeah. down the line and Will immediately transform everything, yeah. but there aren 't many of those guys around ever there 's maybe five of them
2: right top five, and we never we hardly ever see them coming the right way that we saw
1: Baker but the coming. next tier of guys, the sort of five to twenty odd right mm-hmm. those are all guys that you can win with it 's just a hell of a lot harder, and you need more things in place to get it done. But when you have those guys, everyone has always got an eye over here looking yeah, for yeah. the next guy to come along. And you're always reluctant to just go full bore into the, well, all right, we have one of these guys. We know we can win with him. Let's try and put everything around him to get it to happen. It's just like nobody ever goes 100% into that, which is what you probably need to do. But the problem is the whole grass is greener on the other side thing. Like there's still a hell of a drop off from those guys to AAF guys or... You know, even just seconds, quarterbacks. The NFL, yeah. Right. There's there, You can always do a hell of a lot worse than the guy you think you're stuck with.
2: Well, And so you look at our bang, the hometown Bengals here, right? Dalton on a rookie deal when it, you draft A.J. Green at, in, at four in front of him. That team is great. Right. And they had enough talent to go to the playoffs. And they never won there. But ultimately you saw, you know, 2015 before Dalton got hurt, you saw a team that was a Super Bowl contender in my opinion. The issue is, as you said, once you have that guy and then you, you buy into him, you know, the Lions with Stafford, the Bengals with Dalton, the uh, Ravens with Flacco, you know, Flacco can win a Super Bowl. But when you buy into that guy, that's a difficult thing. So the question then becomes like, is Hask like, so which side are you on? Are you on the side of, okay, if we draft Haskins and he ends up like Kirk Cousins and we fail the rest of the time in drafting, we're probably not going to be very good. And we're still going to have to pay this guy a huge amount of money when he. succeeds, or do you see it as, okay, we can get a guy who's as good as Kirk Cousins, and I have faith that we can draft a bunch of other good players, or we can sign a bunch of good players with the money that we're going to have as a surplus because of having Haskins as our quarterback, that we can be a contender in a league where you know there are a lot of great quarterbacks, but there are some great quarterbacks that are retiring.
1: I think that's the key with those guys, is that there may be a huge difference between those guys and those top five guys that that are everything you want. But there isn't that huge a difference between them and the other guys financially, right? You still need to pay the second tier of guys top-tier money to keep them around because there is such a drop-off to the next worst problem. So you have to pay them a ton of money, and that's when you start to have problems because now you don't really have the money to be able to put everything around those guys that you need for them to be as successful as the top-tier guys, and that's where you wind up in problems, right? So Kirk Cousins... The Vikings had to pay him a ton of money to secure somebody that's that good, but that means you don't have enough money to build this dominant team around him where he could be a championship caliber quarterback. So are you in this now limbo situation yeah. where you're never gonna be quite good enough for him to be as good as he needs to be?
2: But on the other hand, like Kansas City, when they had uh you know, Brady Quinn and Matt Castle, you're so bad that right. you're unwatchable. So you bring in Alex Smith to give you, yeah. you know, five years of stability, but then you realize there's an ultimate ceiling to that. Yeah. You take Mahomes, and now you see what the, like the third-tier level is of having a brilliant quarterback under a rookie yeah. deal. But that
1: alternative is why you're stuck with having to pay the middle guys yeah. all that money. And they, because, they had to
2: pay Alex Smith a ton, right. and the, the Washington will have to pay him a ton now that he's hurt.
1: Because it can be so bad. But if you get – like if Haskins is that good – the rookie years are the years to yep, have him right? if you draft him and he's as good as a middle tier quarterback it's an outstanding pick and then you deal with the problem of when you have to pay him later on
2: well and that's i think where the, the maybe the next sort of pioneering team or or you know team that a little bit more woke on this kind of stuff will start to <laughs> pay guys like Nick Foles and Case Keenum right. and like I always, I've always joked that like Nick Foles should sign a five-year, fifty million guaranteed deal with some team and just say, "Hey, if you want to draft a rookie quarterback, I'm not going to be offended, but I'm here to be an average quarterback in case you need me." You know, like you look at the Rams, you look at like the Rams are wondering yeah. whether they should extend golf. Like if you had Nick Foles or Case Keenum behind you, and you're like, we could be a top ten team. With all this money and Keenum, you'd
1: probably work out better off over time, right? Than yeah. signing like and one just year cycling twenty.
2: Through, cycling through QBs until you find Mahomes, you yeah. know, like honestly, and and, and it, there's no, and this is me saying like I don't think teams draft players better than any other team. I think teams accumulate picks, right. And some get lucky. And then the other thing is, is like the Chiefs with it, with uh, Mahomes, you have a coach who can hit on all the good things that t, uh, you know McVeigh with uh, with Goff just can hit on all the positives that a guy has. To me, that's a good approach, and, and but the issue is there's no middle class for quarterbacks, right. and, and until then, it's just not a smart play.
1: And that's why this Kyle Murray thing is going to be fascinating to see play out because he's the one guy from this field that has clear potential to be better than that, yes. to be one of those special quarterbacks, yep. but there's so much working against him. There's the fact you don't really have any idea yet whether he's committed to football or whether he's just saying he's committed to football because otherwise he's in real trouble. He's probably 5'9", 180, which is absurdly, like, without precedent at the quarterback position. Whatever about Baker Mayfield being undersized, Mayfield is what? 6'1", 215. Like, that is a completely different human being to 5'9", 180. He's also got that added athleticism that Baker didn't have. So this, like, Murray is going to be one of the most fascinating evaluations we have ever seen. That's going to be really interesting to see play out. The one thing I want to hit with you just before um, we wrap this up, about five minutes this so the story of the season i think is this idea of running backs don't matter right and it's i think there's more nuance to this than you know people people just get stuck in either yeah their running backs are great keep keep going or no running backs don't matter forget it it's pointless right clearly there's something in between whereas a fantastic running back can make a huge difference to your team it's just that they're like one of the least important elements in terms of determining their own production behind the offensive line behind, you know, all this other stuff.
2: Yeah, I think that's well said. I mean, so we wrote an article on pro football focus about this and and basically the idea is that and this is where I think things get confusing because running back what a running back does. I don't think there's anything prettier on the football field like Eric Dickerson would you know, drop his head back and sprint for 80 yards. Robert Smith when we were growing up watching the Vikings, nothing prettier than that. And yet, at the same time, and then it offends our sensibilities to say, "Well, anybody could do it," you know. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is running running the football after the fact has deep correlations with winning. How the running back does after the fact deep correlation with how uh, a team does. But predictively, to look and say, "Okay, I know that I know that I know that this running back in this system is going to do this." It's not as good. And, and, and that's really... Uh, when you want to analyze football, when you want to build teams, that's what you should look at. Not that Adrian Peterson was brilliant for the Vikings. It's if I had my druthers, would I want Adrian Peterson over the comparable set of things I could right. get with this portfolio of money? And to, to that point, you said, you know, run scheme, box count, and down and distance affects how a running play happens so much more than how good the running back is. and And so... That's the tricky thing. And then what Peterson didn't have in his arsenal is Yes. Running backs that catch are more valuable. Yeah. The, in, the interesting thing is, however, is how good a running back does catching the football is not as stable as how good a receiver or tight end does catching the football. So even then, you're more likely, more secure putting your money in a wide receiver or a tight end than in a running back who catches the ball out of the backfield for all the reasons you can think of. It matters where you catch the ball. It matters under what circumstance. All the things that a running back do are tied to the team, and it's better off to Therefore, buy into the team than to buy into the back.
1: That's why I think Todd Gurley is such a great um, kind of case study for this running back do or don't matter thing, because Todd Gurley is unquestionably an incredibly talented back yeah. who does amazing things with the ball. But if you're heading into a game, the thing that will determine whether Todd Gurley has success or not, is not that Todd Gurley is on the field. This great running back is on the field. Therefore, their run game is going to be dominant. He didn't have success until they built an offensive line that would open up holes for him. He didn't have success until they had a scheme that was generating easy box counts for him. When he was with Jeff Fisher's scheme and a crappy offensive line in front of him, Todd Gurley looked like crap. He was the same guy. It's not like he was a bad player then. It's just that those other things are the things that determine whether the running back is going to have success, not the talent of the running back.
2: Yeah. And, and that's the really tricky part is that, you know, it, it, it's so, and then that's how somebody, somebody like CJ Anderson, or that's like the idea of this change of pace back, right? Yeah. When a defense is ready or defense puts an extra player out of the box, that's how the change of pace backs were always so. You know, Chester Taylor for the Vikings or Jarek McKinnon or like some of these backup running backs end up being super efficient and then they go somewhere. Ben Tate was one. You went somewhere and became a right. starter and it's like, well, now you're a starter. Why aren't you doing as well? Well, it's like, well, the other team took a break when Arian Foster was off the field and so I was facing seven instead of eight man boxes and it's like, and so my take is just like none of the – like all these guys are super talented. To play running back in the NFL, you have to be an extraordinary athlete. Yeah. The difference is, is that Damian Williams, as what percentage of the athlete Kareem Hunt is, can produce 95% of the output. You can't say the same thing about QBs as we were talking about right. repeatedly. And you can't say the same thing about wide receivers, edge players cornerbacks and that's really the the genesis of this idea that running backs don't matter it's not that they're not talented or we don't appreciate their beauty and their grace playing football it's that it's replaceable and, and right. unfortunately that's the truth
1: it's just understanding the driving force behind what's actually making them successful and most of the time it isn't the running back himself sure you can find examples of it where you know derrick henry busts five tackles against the jags defense and goes 90 yards that he had no business going But over the long haul, over a longer period of time, the bigger sample size, it just isn't the running back that's generating that production. So, yeah, if you want to read more about it, go find Eric's article on profootballfocus.com. But that's going to do it for this. Thanks for uh, moonlighting on this podcast, Eric. Thanks for having me. Like I said before, if you're not uh, listening to the PFF forecast, go dive into that as well. It's also on Podcast One or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. It's an excellent listen. It's George Sharuri. And Eric Eager. That's um, a good pronunciation. Thank you. I've been working on that. While well, Steve's been messing it up every week, I've just been taking mental reps on the sideline. The
2: New England accent with George's last name. Yeah, I just don't no, think that those will ever mesh. That's not going to Whereas work. I think Mike Renner just doesn't try.
1: Yeah, Oh yeah. definitely. Mike just doesn't care. Um, so, yeah, that'll do it. Make sure you check out that podcast. Hit, uh, hit up profootballfocus.com for your PFF Elite subscription to get all the AAF goodness because that's going to keep us tied it over for the next few weeks while we work on free agency and the draft. I have absolutely no idea when Steve is back, by the way. So who knows who's coming to you on Thursday? If anybody
2: was going to milk the birth of a a kid, it would be Steve.
1: So Steve may or may not be back on Thursday. I will, whatever happens, and we'll figure out who else is in the chair. But uh, thanks for listening. Take it easy, guys.
0: Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in Week 1. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray. In his NFL debut, that's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.